0: Hey friends, this is Linda and you're listening to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we look at a passage of scripture and ask ourselves two questions. What does it mean and what does it call us to do? In today's episode, A House of Cedar, we're looking at the story of God's promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and how we can breathe easy and be thankful when things don't go the way we want them to at least when God's involved. Let's get started. Once upon a time, I really wanted to be a physician, a pediatric oncologist to be precise. Now, I know many of you have already heard this story, so feel free to skip ahead, but I set up the first 20-something years of my life for this one goal, I volunteered at hospitals, I got involved in student government and community service organizations, I majored in biology, I worked in a research lab, I even practiced messy handwriting for those prescription pads, I kid you not. I envisioned myself in that white coat with the stethoscope around my neck more times than I'd like to admit. And I know it's such a cliche for an Asian kid to want to be a doctor, but I promise this wasn't one of those pressure from home situations. If anything, my mom was adamantly against me going to medical school. But this was the only thing I wanted to do, and I was convinced that this was my calling. I told myself I would be involved in overseas medical missions, and I would do so many important and honorable things for God with my MD. But as you know, God had other plans, and I was absolutely unhappy about it. Looking back, of course, I realized that the path God set me on was indeed the superior one, but at the time, I was so bitter. I went to seminary kicking and screaming when I should have done what David does in today's story when God overrides his plans. That's right. We're continuing to talk about David today. And this story from 2 Samuel chapter 7 comes during a rare time of peace in David's life and reign. As the king takes in his splendorous life, he suddenly realizes he's been remiss We read in verses one through two, after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. How could he live in this beautiful palace while the sacred ark of the Lord, the one that caused him to dance so overzealously, was housed in something so unremarkable. Now, how often do we do this too? Only after we receive something we need or when God gives us something good, that's when we go, oh snap, I probably should do something for God too. When we're in crisis mode, we often forget about giving to God and focus only on what we can expect God to give to us. So. David then hatches a plan to build a more permanent, awe-inspiring temple for God. And when he tells Nathan about it, the prophet endorses it. By all measures, it seems like a solid idea. As it turns out, though, Nathan spoke too soon. Because later that night, God speaks to Nathan regarding David's brilliant new plan. I I feel like God might have even laughed a little here. Oh, that's, that's so cute. You want to build me a house? I never asked you to do that. I never asked anyone to do that. In fact, God says in verse 7 Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? And just like that, God vetoes David's plans to build the temple. He doesn't exactly say why either, and this story is echoed in 1 Chronicles, and if you follow the entire saga of David's plans for this temple he's not allowed to build, he says in both chapters 22 and 28 that God had forbidden him from building the temple because he was a warrior and had shed too much blood. Now, there's really no evidence that those were God's words at all. I mean, it definitely could be, but we don't see that in the text. It seems like it's more likely that it was the rationale that David makes on behalf of God. Because by his estimation, he probably felt like he was the most suitable candidate for the job. After all, it was his idea. No one else before him had thought to build a temple for God. So the fact that God doesn't want him to do it, well, it must be because he's killed too many people in battle. Yeah, that must be it. Have you ever experienced something like this in your own life? I know I have. You set up these noble goals for your life and we tell everyone we're doing it for some kind of glorious purpose. Sorry, I just watched the season finale of Loki. So that phrase is fresh in my mind. And we say we're going to set up a business, go to medical school, donate to charity, all in the name of the Lord. But for some reason, things just don't work out. And then we make up all these reasons to make ourselves feel better about why things didn't pan out the way we planned. In truth, We don't really know why God doesn't open some doors for us, just like we really don't know why God didn't want David to build a temple. And we really need to get comfortable with not knowing why. Trusting God means when our plans fall through, we learn to pivot and see what other way God wants to use us and bless us. With David, what we do know is God didn't even want a temple at all. But what I find fascinating about this story is that God doesn't just say, thanks, but no thanks. God says, fine, go ahead, let's build me a temple, but it's going to be delegated to one of your sons who will be king after you. Now, it isn't obvious, but this is a beautiful promise from God to to be with him and his family. By ensuring that one of David's offspring will be the one to build the temple, God is letting David know that his kingly line will continue, and he's also letting David know that his son will know God and God will know him. And we'll talk more about how God kept this promise as the task goes to David's son Solomon when we start our series on Solomon next month. But here's where it gets more interesting. God is not just talking to David about a building project that will happen in the next generation. No, God is thinking many, many years down the line as he makes this promise to David. Any Back to the Future fans out there? One of my favorite parts in all of the movies is whenever Marty points out that they were going to be driving straight into an obstacle, and Doc Brown always yells, Marty, you're not thinking fourth dimensionally. He means to say that there's an obstacle there right now, but it won't be there when you get to the time period you're traveling to. Like right now in 1885, it seems like you're going to be driving straight into a ravine. But in 1985, there's going to be a railroad track there. God is thinking fourth dimensionally here when he makes his promise to David. God is saying, You want to build a house for me? No, I'm going to build a house for you. And it's not just about having David's son build a magnificent temple either, which he does. But listen to the full text of the promise God makes to David in verses 12 through 13. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Yeah, this is totally talking about David's son Solomon, right? Or does it sound like it could very much be talking about someone else? Because this sounds a lot like Jesus to me. God was already putting the plan in place of setting up the house of David to be the dynasty from which the Savior himself is born, the one who will build a house for God's name, the one whose kingdom will be established forever. Isn't that incredible? So what does this story call us to do? First of all, I am reminded that God should never be an afterthought. We are quick to praise and give when things are on the up and up, when God has given us rest from our enemies, whether those enemies are real people or specific hardships. But let's not wait until we've achieved everything we're striving for before we turn to God. Don't wait until you get that perfect job, meet the perfect spouse, have kids and whatever other milestone to serve God. Honor God first and watch as God's faithfulness, does something in your life you never could have done on your own. Secondly, I'm reminded that our ways are not God's ways. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And I am paraphrasing from Isaiah 55 8. But humans have this annoying, egotistical tendency to speak on God's behalf with words God had never spoken. We assume God wants what we want, so we do for God what we want to do. We make God in our image when it should be the other way around. Remember, our God is the God who does not need a temple to be a dwelling place because he's everywhere. God is not constrained by a building or any other human contraption or idea. Yes, God meets with us in buildings. God meets with us even in these podcasts. But is God limited to these platforms? Absolutely not. Sometimes the thing you really want to do for God is not what God wants you to do at all. Instead of trying to get God to move in the way we want him to move out of the way and let God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. David definitely did that. He praised God for this new direction and promise he was given. Lastly, I am struck by the imagery of a house of cedar, which is the title of this episode. David is kicking himself at the start of this chapter for living in a house of cedar while the ark was living in a tent. God also asked David, when did I ask anyone to build me a house of cedar? Now, why didn't they just say house? Why did they specifically say a house of cedar? Now, cedar just so happens to be one of the most durable and luxurious types of wood in biblical times, and because of this purpose, the cedar tree is often a symbol for endurance and even immortality. Using this metaphor then, David is lamenting the fact that he had been fighting so hard in battles to secure his own kingship and the immortality of his kingly lineage, And he was building a legacy for himself for future generations to remember, but he hadn't done the same for God the way the Torah instructed God's people to do since the time of Moses. What God delighted in then and what God delights in now is not the building. It's never the building. David wanted to build a house for God, but God turned it around and said, I will build a house for you. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4, we read, For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. And when God builds, God builds completely. And what is it that God built? If we continue reading in Hebrews chapter 3, we find in verse 6, But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. We are his house. Friends, we are the house of cedar. We are the eternal dwelling place of God. God sent his son Jesus through the Davidic family tree, such that you and I may find eternal life through him. So, As we enter into a new week, let's do it with intention. Let's put God at the forefront of our activities instead of waiting for a time that's convenient for us. Let's discern what God's will for us is before we presume to know what it is. And let's make our hearts a worthy house of cedar where Christ can establish his throne forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who sees through all of our bold declarations and big plans in your name. And no matter how well-intentioned they may be, we know that unless they are indeed your will for us, they amount to nothing. Help us to seek your kingdom and your righteousness above all else. And remind us that even when you don't use us in the way we want, you still have uses for us, and they are better than any plan we could conceive on our own. Make yourself at home in our hearts as we continue to trust in your ways, knowing that your ways are always better and lead to true life. In Jesus' name, amen.